You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to season nine. This is episode eight. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So on today's show, we're going to talk all about landscaping. I have Ben Hill on the show today. He's a DIY landscape design coach, and he's the owner of Easy Living Yards. His work helped busy homeowners to create beautiful yards they deserve through his podcast, Easy Living Yards, and also membership, so they can have more time to enjoy their yard with pride. So we talk a lot about landscaping, and Ben has been very generous about sharing、uh, some resources. He has in regards to landscaping for home staging, so I'll be sharing that information on the show notes as well. And just a quick announcement: so back by popular demand, so last month I gave a free training on four strategies to improve your home staging game. That free training was very very popular; about three hundred and fifty people went through it. And so I'm going to be offering again about a month from now, so on July thirtieth. I'll be putting more information up on our website as that day gets close, but I'm gonna put a link to it as well in the show notes, so you can just link to cashinthecushions.com and then sign up for the webinar now. All right, and let's start the show. So, hey Ben, thank you so much for being on today's show. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your business? How did you get into landscaping? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Cindy, for having me. I'm so glad to be here. And I kind of got to landscaping through a circuitous route. It's、uh, kind of interesting.、Uh, you know, I guess most people get through、uh, in a roundabout way. And for me, I started in a completely different field. I, I have a background in science and microbiology, and so it's kind of crazy that here I am coaching people on designing their own landscapes. And That kind of came through just a process of discovering what my passions were and finding this interest in the the artistic and the the scientific part of growing plants and really getting into just loving how beautiful landscapes work. And I kind of dove in, learned about landscaping, and and kind of ended up here. And so, really, what I do with Easy Living Yards is coach people to design their own landscapes that are beautiful. And also give back to them by saving time in maintenance. You know, I think that's great, and actually, I think it's really interesting because you have a science background. But I do think maintaining plants have a lot of science built in because I like to have plants in my own home. But a lot of times, when things go wrong, it's really hard to tell. It's, it's not like a pet, you know. You know, you can take it to a doctor or something like that. So I can always just have to guess in terms of what I was doing wrong, and the plants were dying or not doing well. <laughs> yeah, plants are a little tougher. They、uh, they don't talk as easily as pets. And、um, yeah, the science thing, you know, it's about、uh, just I love the nerd part of it, but I also love the art part, and that and that's where it's kind of an interesting bridge between the two things. That's great. And so, what are some of the common misunderstanding people may have about landscaping? You know, there's there's one really big big misunderstanding, and especially when it comes to people doing their own landscaping work, and that is that they don't plan properly. And this is something that pretty much every, probably even the the best landscaper in the world is is guilty of this too. And so myself included, I get so excited. I go to the nursery or the the local big. Store with a garden center, and I love all the plants in front of me. Or there's something on sale, or something on clearance, or something in bloom, and I end up buying, you know, a couple of those. And then you get back home, and you're like, "Where do I put these?" And you're like, oh, it looks nice over here. Looks nice over there. You end up putting them in the ground, and you know, maybe you water them and maintain them, but they just they don't fit. And and so really, the planning piece is the biggest part of landscaping. Is thinking ahead. And thinking with、uh, kind of a, a dedicated process to think about what you're doing, where you're doing it, and how it's going to all fit together is the biggest piece, the biggest mistake that's usually made. I agree with that because my mom loves to plant, but the thing is, her garden looks kind of like hodgepodge of everything. It's like all the random bits of things that she likes, but they're kind of strangely assembled together. It just literally there was no plan, there's no thought, basically whatever. On that day of the week, and she went to the nursery, or she saw it as something at Costco. It was on sale, and then she bought it, and she just found a place that was empty, 
to plant in. So yeah, there's no like rhyme or reason to it. Yes, that's exactly correct. And so it, it may look beautiful, but it doesn't look necessarily like a, a cohesive piece. And so that's really a big piece for landscaping mistakes. And I think the other issue people always have is that landscaping is expensive. Yeah, it can get pretty pricey pretty quick. There are a lot of cost-saving uh, strategies you could put in place. We can dive into a couple of those if you want. Yeah. So one of the big ones is, again, it goes back to that planning piece, avoiding mistakes or avoiding uh, maintenance. So cost is usually people think of money, but the other cost is our time. Time is incredibly valuable. And I'm sure with your show, you talk about, you know, the time to to flip a house, to sell it, I guess is the better term. I have to use the right terminology here. The time it takes to sell your house probably is an important factor in home staging as well, I would guess. Right. And likewise with landscaping, the time required to maintain your landscape is also an incredible cost. And so the more you do to reduce the work in your landscape, uh, you're saving costs there and then also saving the money piece. And so when you're talking about the money piece, some of the things you could do, one thing is planning ahead like we just talked about. So when you, you plan ahead, you get the right design in place, you reduce the amount of plant failures you have by buying the wrong plant that doesn't fit in the, the space you have. So that could be not buying the right sized plants. It's a huge mistake is buying the wrong sized plant. So a plant that grows too big and then you have to, you know, like a, a small tree that fits under your eaves or whatever, and then it ends up hitting the gutter of your house after about five or 10 years. That's a huge mistake. And likewise, that same size of plant underneath the ground is causing issues with your foundation. And so buying the correct plants for the space and not having to continually replace them is a huge cost saving. Likewise, matching the plant to the the ecosystem you have. This is getting into the sciencey piece, but basically what soil do you have? What sunlight level do you have? What water do you have? These are all important factors in selecting your plants. So when you figure that out first and you plan the right plants for your space, you save a ton of cost and effort uh, in reducing the amount of maintenance and also the replacing the wrong plants that maybe don't thrive or end up dying in that space. So those are two cost-saving strategies that are kind of not so obvious. Some more obvious pieces, when you plan ahead, you can also hit the, the plant sales at the right time. And so if you know exactly what plants you need, you wait until the nurseries are running a sale at the beginning of the season or maybe at the end of the season when they're trying to clear out their plants, clear out their nursery stock. You can hit the sales, get the plants you need, and go back and plant them when uh, you know, you're saving a bunch of cost. There are more advanced strategies as well, so I can just touch upon them real quick. These are usually a longer-term strategy, so I don't know if it's something that's appropriate if you're staging your home. This is more for like one to two years plus uh, planning stage. And that is, so one, a lot of plants, when you buy them at the nursery, they're grown to look good for you, but they're not necessarily grown for the health of the plant beyond that. And so a lot of plants, they actually do well with division. Sometimes they're grown too densely in the nursery and they actually do well when you divide them. And so that's one strategy, dividing plants or propagating them. It's a more advanced strategy. But if you look up and you read how to do it with the specific plants you're thinking about, you might be able to buy one plant instead of three or four of that specific plant to plant into your, your landscape long-term. So that's one strategy. Another is propagating again from, from seeds or whatever. Some plants do very well from seed if you plant them in your space, especially if it's a, a larger block of the same type of plant that you're putting into your landscape. So those are kind of two more advanced strategies that takes a lot more work. And we probably don't want to dive in too deep on. That's very cool. And I think it's, there's a few interesting points that you brought up Like I want to dive in a little deeper. Like First of all, it's planning. Because I find planning could be a bit tricky because plants may grow at different rate, like you mentioned. And also, there are also seasonal flowers. Certain flowers only come out during summer, for example. And so it seems like what is the best approach when you're trying to plan out your landscaping? Yeah, that's a, 
very deep topic, but we can touch on it here. So, <laughs> so when, no, that's okay. When you're landscaping, there's kind of three big buckets, I guess, is the way I like to see it. One is planning out your landscape. And that's kind of like your design, uh, finding what you desire. Also, yeah, factoring in like bloom times and things like that into your landscape and also more design oriented things like form and structure and texture, those sorts of things. Those are all the design bucket or the planning bucket. And then you have the installation bucket, which is, you know, the implementation of your design into your landscape. And then finally, you have the long-term maintenance piece of your, your design as well. So that starts at the right after installation with the kind of nursing your plants up to health as they kind of get accustomed to your landscape. And then long-term, how do you maintain that space? How do you keep it looking nice and neat and that sort of thing? So those are your, kind of your three main buckets when it comes to landscaping. And with planning, that's a huge bucket. But if we want to just kind of look kind of at the top level of how do you make that planning process a bit easier? For a lot of people, it's, it's pretty intimidating to look at that process. A lot of us just kind of pass over the planning piece and go right to the getting plants and, and planting them without the planning piece. And that planning piece is really important. So the way I like to break down that process is first starting with understanding what type of plants do well in your landscape. And this is what I just talked about a little bit with like the sun, the water, the uh, soil. So those types of factors, uh, there's a lot of factors like that. So understanding essentially what your little climate is, your microclimate is on your landscape. And it could be different from your when you're looking at your front yard versus your backyard. So if I take an example from our home, we've had our home now for about six and a half, seven years, and it was a, a giant mess when we bought it. It was not staged at all. <laughs> it was it was like a, we bought one of these foreclosed homes. And so it was a project home, basically. And we've been nursing it back to health over the past several years. And our landscape is finally becoming addressed a little bit. And so we just put in this beautiful front landscape design. And when I had to plan that, I had to think of specifically about what type of soil do we have and what type of sun exposure do we have, which is very different in our front yard versus our backyard. So our front gets full sun. It faces south. And so here in the northern hemisphere, we get full sun on that front of our house. And the back of our house, it's very shaded for most of the year. And so the plants you would select would be very different in those two locations. So when you're thinking about your design, thinking about where you're planning at, uh, is it a front yard garden? What is the specific um, conditions in that space is, I guess, what I'm getting at. So for our front garden, I had to think about our soil type. So we have clay soil, which is very densely compacted. And so we need plants that do well in that type of soil. Uh, likewise, what amount of sun exposure? How much sun do you get? How full is that sun? Uh, so, you know, do you have some dappled shade maybe from an overstory tree, or do you have full sun all day, for example? Some more advanced things are like your pH. If you know that, that's very helpful, your soil pH. If you don't, you can probably talk to your local nursery and they'll help you out. Likewise, uh, so some of the other things you need to factor in, uh, the big one is water. So how much rainfall do you get per year and how often? And so for me in in southern Ohio, we get 42 inches of rain a year. It's a pretty decent amount of rain. Somebody that lives in the Smoky Mountains of the Appalachians, they get 80 plus inches of rain a year in some parts. Whereas if you live over in Las Vegas, Nevada, you maybe get about four and a half inches of rain a year. So the plants you select for those different locations is very different. And so once you know some of these nerdy things, I'll admit it. <laughs> once you no, know some I of love these nerdy <laughs> things. That's how I make your plants grow bigger and stronger. I love it. Exactly. This is what helps plan for the success of your plants. So once you know this stuff, then you can really drill down on what types of plants work in that space, which is really helpful because it reduces those costly mistakes that could be made if you didn't know this stuff. And so once you know that, the cool thing is you can search online for most of this stuff. A lot of us end up at the nursery before we do our research. And if we do our research first, it's super helpful. You can even just go to Google and start searching for plants. that, like. So you could say, for me, plants that grow in Cincinnati. 
Uh, That's where I'm from is from the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And you can actually get help, some sort of guidance from that. And likewise, you start to go to various resources. So one I really like to use that works really well for most of the eastern half of the United States is the Missouri Botanical Garden Plant Finder. It's a very big mouthful, but uh, I believe I um, have a link to that I can share as well. And um, so the Missouri Botanical Garden Plant Finder tool is basically this online web resource that you can enter in your conditions that you have, and it'll spit back good looking plants that fit into those conditions, which is super helpful. And so when you kind of filter out these plants, then what you can do is start to think about, okay, what time of year do I want it to bloom? Or how big do I want this plant to grow? And that's when you start to think about those aesthetic things, those beautiful pieces. And you can start to get more into the artistic phase of, okay, we want a clump of larger shrubs here and maybe some lower growing perennials right in front of it. And we want these ones to have a bloom around this time of year of this color and kind of get into those details and start to go through that planning piece. So you go from like the really foundational aspects of what makes your plants healthy into what type of structure of plant do you want? What type of color of blooms do you want? And so on and so forth. And that's how you kind of navigate through that intimidating planning process. Right. Yeah. So is it always better to buy native plants then? Because they're already accustomed to the local soil condition and rainfall and all that stuff. I would say yes and no. So native plants is, you know, plants are native to the whole world, right? (laughs) (laughs) But there are certain plants that are are native to specific regions, right? Right. And I do have a preference toward native plantings. It's kind of funny because there's a huge debate about what is native, what's not, and that sort of thing when you get into the the really nerdy planty stuff again. But on the surface, essentially what you're thinking about is when you're talking about native plants, if we're talking specifically to the United States, for example, it's plants that were essentially here the way they were before Christopher Columbus landed on the, the shore of El Salvador. That's a very specific, oh my God. (laughs) Right. And so basically anything after about the year 1500 has been disrupted is kind of the way that people think about that. And so anything that was kind of here the way it was before the year 1500 is considered native. But basically what you have is, is we have a bunch of these, if you think about the Eastern United States and break it down, you have like Eastern deciduous forest region, you have a great prairie region through the middle of the U.S. You have a desert region over a little bit further west, and you have a mountainous region through like Utah and Colorado, and then you have the coastal Pacific region, which is super unique and interesting as well. So each of those groupings has a different group of native plants. And if you live in that region, it is really helpful to use plants from that general region because likely they will do better than, uh, say, if, if I were to use a plant that uh, comes from Nova Scotia, I don't know, or, you know, Australia, right? You don't know how well it's going to do and how resilient it will be to, to various stresses. And so uh, when you think about extremes of climate, some years you have your lowest temperature here in Ohio goes down to uh, minus 15 some years. Other years, the lowest, and that's Fahrenheit. And the lowest temperature other years might only go down to um, zero Fahrenheit. And so there's less stress that year on some of those plants than if you were using a plant that maybe isn't winter hardy enough, it might not last through those colder years, for example. I see. And so I guess to, to answer your question, generally speaking, I do prefer native plants. I think there's a lot of beauty that native plants bring and also a, a wonderful character of the place you're from which is really cool. So they, they express your regional character, which is something that uh, right now, I think a lot of people don't do with their landscaping. Right around here in Ohio right now, it's a big trend. There's this t-shirts that everybody wears and it says home on it, but instead of the, the letter O for home, it's a picture of Ohio. And so, you know, people really want to express the character of where they're from with what they're wearing or 
little stickers on their cars or whatever. Well, we can do that with our landscaping too and really express pride in the, the plants that come from around us and how beautiful they are. And there are a ton of beautiful native plants. That's kind of a stigma is that native has to look messy or ugly. And the reality is, the funny thing is a lot of native plants in the United States, there's a huge um, trend in ornamental plantings with United States natives in Europe. <laughs> and so in Europe, they're not native, but uh, they're, they're used there as beautiful nursery specimens. And here in the United States, they're seen as weeds. And so it's kind of funny. And I think it's time we kind of look into that and, and really start to admire the beautiful plants that we have here. Right. And so as a landscape designer, what are some of the things that you're looking at when you're seeing clients' yard for the first time? So this is kind of that, it, it, it's tough, I guess, but, but the, the lens I use when I'm looking at somebody's yard, generally speaking, the first thing is just a gut feel, like not even thinking about it. It's like, how do I feel about this place? Right. And so does it, does it kind of give you like this wonderful pop? Maybe it's not your specific design style that you like to use or, or I like to use, but maybe it can teach me something. Right. So, so the first thing is, do I like it? Does it feel cool? Does it feel different? And a lot of times, you know, a lot of our landscapes aren't, I guess, fully designed from a planning standpoint. And so a lot of times I, I don't specifically love a landscape to begin with. But uh, there are some exceptions, right, where I'm like, oh, this is really pretty. I want to learn more about this or I want to I feel more about it. But when it comes to getting past that gut feel, the next thing I look at is how cohesive does it look? Does it look like it's planned together? Or is there a lot of kind of random elements scattered throughout? And that's where if I'm actually looking to design a landscape, I'll start from there. Is how cohesive is it already? How well designed is it already? And that'll determine whether you're kind of adding some finishing touches to it or some slight changes or updates versus a kind of a more in-depth, cohesive redesign of the space. I see. And when you're working with clients, you usually kind of, I guess I'm trying to say is, do you use a lot of stuff they already have? Or would you recommend replanting a lot of things as well? Um, that depends as well. So if you have a lot of things that are in place and they do bring, I guess, value or aesthetic appeal, they look nice, but maybe you just need more to the landscape, right? Maybe you have some stuff there, but it just kind of needs more to enhance it further. Then you keep the stuff that you have. But if it feels overgrown or um, if there's just plants that are really unhealthy, then you would probably remove them. Or if there's plants that just really, really aren't in the right spot. I hate removing plants unless it's necessary, but if there's plants that just really aren't in the right spot, they got to come out too. So a great example of that is our house. We have several uh, mature trees around our house that have been here pretty much, we guess, for the full age of the house, which is about 35 years. Uh, actually going on 40 now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, so these trees, they were planted too close to the house. And so the branches actually touch the house and we have to keep them pruned back. But the unfortunate reality is those roots also run up to the foundation of our house too. And so we're going to need to remove these beautiful mature trees because they were too close to the house. And we'd rather not disturb the foundation of our house and have major structural issues. We'd rather actually remove the tree instead. And so that's a functional example. But you can also have aesthetic examples or artistic examples of that as well. So if you have a, a tree that's planted directly in the front of your home and you really want to showcase the architecture of your home and that tree is completely blocking it, then it might need to, to be moved if it's really that important. You know, if you really want to accent the front of your home and the, the beautiful architecture that it has, then that tree could be really taking away from the curb appeal of your home. Right. And so when should a homeowner hire someone to do their landscape versus do it themselves? Okay, so this would be something I would suggest. Overall, I have a tendency toward doing it myself. So I actually, my business is about coaching do-it-yourself landscapers to really design a beautiful landscape, to do that planning piece, right? And to do it properly. Because so many times when we do it ourselves, we don't do the right process. And so when it really comes down to deciding whether you should hire somebody 
or do it yourself, I would consider a, f- a few things. One, how, how DIY savvy are you? Are you willing to really put in the work that's required to design a landscape and install it? And also, are you capable of learning? And I don't mean that are you, you know, are you smart enough to learn? What I mean is, are you willing to do the research and expend the time and effort that's required to learn what you need to do to get the right plants, to put in an appropriate design, and then go ahead and install it as well? You know, maybe get your buddies over to help you. So if you're willing to do that, and that sounds like something that's a fun challenge and that you have the time and resources and effort to do, then maybe doing it yourself is something you can do. If that sounds daunting or scary, it might be worth considering uh, finding a local designer that can help you out. And so when it comes to designers, finding somebody, usually now people have a website that showcases their work. So you can find somebody that maybe focuses on residential design, for example, and can help you out. And you can see if their style matches with what you want for your home. So those are all ways you can kind of figure out selecting a designer and whether or not you should have a designer as well. Now, the other factors that come in, of course, are cost. It usually is more costly to have a designer come in and do the work because it is a very specialized uh, piece of work. So can you afford the cost? But again, it comes down to two, is the the costs required to install a beautiful new landscape, is it worthwhile in how it improves the value of your home, how much you feel pride in your home as well, and how much uh, comfort you feel in your home, and the overall outcome. So there's kind of trade-offs, of course. So those are some of those examples. Yeah, no, that helps a lot. And I was wondering where some of the common things that homeowners can do to really improve their curb appeal, even if they don't have a green thumb. Yeah. Okay. So the green thumb piece, I would say um, I've definitely um, failed more times than I've succeeded with growing. So green thumb is a skill, right? It's not this just a wonderful thing that shines down from the heavens that people are blessed with a green thumb. Instead, what it is, is people that have taken the time and effort and use their their desire as well. Sometimes people just have a desire to grow, right? And to push through those failures and learn. And so each failure is a, is a learning opportunity. And so really having a brown thumb versus a green thumb is whether or not you're willing to, to really invest the time and the effort to, to one, select the right plants, and also two, to learn how to grow them properly and care for them. And so it's a process, and I am, I am continually on that process as well, is there's nobody out there that's an expert in all plants. There's so many plants in the world, even just in the attractive nursery industry, there's so many plants out there that nobody knows how to care for them all. And so even the best plantsman out there uh, still has trouble with some plants. That's just a reality. And so if you don't have a green thumb, it's not worth being scared about. Just go out there and, and keep trying and keep learning. That's the biggest thing. So as far as curb appeal goes, which was the other piece of your question, there are a couple of things you can do if you're really just trying to, you know, you're not trying to overhaul your whole landscape to do a full installation. It's, you know, it's very costly, very time consuming. It has a huge, beautiful outcome, but maybe you don't have the time or the resources to do that. So there are some ways you can, can really boost your curb appeal in the short term. The first thing I would say is the easiest way to boost curb appeal is to spruce up your front foundation landscape. And so if you don't have a beautiful front landscape right in front of your home, it really detracts from your curb appeal. And so that's where I would start. That's where I would focus is put in a front garden. And if you don't have that, work on that. Don't work on anything else. Now, if you do have that, there are, or if you, maybe you don't have the time for that. So there's kind of two factors there. Maybe you already have your front foundation and you're wanting to further boost your curb appeal, or maybe you just simply don't have the time to really do a full front garden install as well. The other things you can look at that are easier and faster are what can you do to your front porch? Uh, what can you do to your entry walk? And also what can you do just to the overall vision of the front of your home. So I'll, I'll kind of step into each of those real quick. So for your front porch, there are a couple of things, just adding some nice decor items there, but not overdoing it. A front porch can easily be overdone. The front porch is like that, that transition zone, right? It's outside your home, but it's also kind of like an outside room. 
And so really bringing the character of your, the interior of your home outside a little bit, making it feel welcome, making it feel like home is a really important thing. So you can do that just with one or two simple accents of decor can really go a long way toward giving that feeling of character. Like this is home. This is our home and whatever makes that statement for you. And likewise, also bringing some of that landscape into your porch is really nice as well. So that's where selecting maybe some very low maintenance potted plants. And and this is a whole topic in itself, but um, some very low maintenance potted plants can go a long way. So you can find these self-watering pots. Uh, A lot of uh, nursery and, um, and big box stores are starting to carry these now. So basically they have a reservoir in the bottom. So you can you don't have to sit out there and water it every day, basically. You can water it maybe once a week or maybe even once every two weeks, depending on where you live and what plant you have. So that's really cool. But bringing some just, you know, again, a few simple potted plants onto your porch kind of brings your landscape onto your porch as well. So it's that transition zone and it's acknowledging that it's a transition uh, and also it, it feels welcoming. So that's what you can do with your front porch. The other piece with your front porch, just to touch on it real quick, is to clear out any clutter. Right now, we have a couple muddy uh, rain boots sitting on our front porch from our little boys. Um, sometimes it gets some dirty clothes dried on there as they're soaking wet uh, from the, the kids playing outside. And so can you reduce the amount of clutter on your porch so it feels clean, it feels clear, it feels neat, especially if you're trying to stage your home. And so those are things you can do with your front porch. Your entry walk, you want to make sure it's clear and open. It feels welcoming as well. This is the conduit, right? This is the way people get to your home. It's the primary space people come into your home. And so the entry walk, you want to make sure it feels clear and open and wide. And now, of course, most entry walks are concrete. And so if you have a narrow entry walk, what you can do is make sure that each side of it isn't obscured by anything. So if there's overgrown shrubs, make sure they're trimmed back a little bit. So that way people can come into your home both visually, but also physically walking through that entry walkway. It doesn't feel restricted. And so the example I love to give is is if you have a, a young parent with two little kids, right? So maybe it's a young mom, right? And she's carrying one kid in a baby carrier still. And then has a little toddler running around too. Usually that toddler needs to hold a hand, right? And so if that mom can't feel comfortable walking down your entry path without making the kid walk single file in front of her and kind of carrying the baby carrier behind her and kind of shuffling on through, if that wouldn't be comfortable enough of a space to to let her just walk comfortably with the toddler by her side, then your entry walk's probably too narrow. And so think about how you can both visually and physically widen it without, you know, of course, having to bust up your entry walkway. So those are some things to think about with your entry walk. And then let's step back to the curb. If we go all the way back to the curb and you just look at the front of your house, when you're looking at the front of your house, what really pulls away from the character of your home? Most often, this is somebody's trash can or their vehicles. So make sure your vehicles are parked in this kind of sounds funny, but just parked in a nice way. Or if you can keep one of them in the garage or both of them in the garage or or however many vehicles you have, then maybe you can consider doing so. Again, especially if you're trying to stage your home. So you want it to feel clean, you want it to feel open, and you want it to also feel welcoming. So what are the things that don't make it feel clean, don't make it feel open? And what, what I mean by open is, is restricted of access. So you want it to be very clear oh, I can walk up this part of the house, walk across this entry pathway. Here's how I get to the front door. So whatever restricts that visual openness is restricting the curb appeal of your home. And so again, it needs to feel clean and open and welcoming. And so what doesn't make my home feel welcoming, basically, uh, is what we talked about with that front porch, for example. And so anything that kind of pulls away from that is something that you can change hopefully quickly to really boost your curb appeal. Great. And so is it possible to have a yard that is low maintenance or is that an unrealistic goal? (laughs) 
Um, this is another debate, <laughs> but but I say that yes, it's possible to have a low maintenance garden, and not only is it possible that many people do it and do it well where it looks beautiful. That's the other piece. You can have a low maintenance landscape, but it might look really ugly, right? If you just stop cutting your grass and weeding, that would technically be a low maintenance landscape. It just wouldn't be beautiful. But I believe, yes, you can have a beautiful landscape that's also low maintenance. Now, there's a difference between low maintenance and no maintenance. And I don't believe that there is a possible way to have a zero maintenance landscape. So even if you put down a bunch of artificial turf and you put down all hardscapes without any plants in your landscape, eventually that would start to fall apart, right? So even though you might not have tons of weeds happening, over time that would start to wear and fall apart and weather and that sort of thing. So even without any plants, you still have maintenance. And so likewise with a garden, you still have maintenance, but you can design it in a way where it's very, very low maintenance. So one of the biggest maintenance pieces is lawn. And so if you have the time to transfer your lawn to something else that's a beautiful low-maintenance garden bed, you can really go a long way to reducing your, your ongoing maintenance that's required in some areas required every single week of the growing season to trim and maintain it. And then also you have a lot of inputs into your garden whether or your lawn, whether it's irrigation or chemical herbicides or pesticides to, to maintain that, that clean, short-cropped appearance. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with lawns, but <laughs> I'm not the hugest fan of a lawn, actually, in the, the sense that we use it. I think lawns are beautiful, but they're way overused, and that we could reduce a lot of our lawns into something that's much lower maintenance and brings a ton of beauty into our space as well. And when it comes to low-maintenance garden beds, is really what we talked about already on the show here, is a lot of that planning piece planning for the right plants that will be happy in the space that you have. And so if the plants are happy and they're also designed in a way where you have, you think about their mature size, where they can grow to that mature size and not be obstructing anything and just be happy the way they naturally are, then you can have a low maintenance landscape where you have beautiful plants that are happy how they are, that grow to the size you want them, and you can pretty much just make sure they can stay in that happy state. And, and that is your low maintenance landscape. So the long-term maintenance piece, really, once you have an established garden like this, is just making sure if you have any bare spots of your landscape to make sure they're, they're mulched with a nice heavy layer of mulch that prevents little weeds from popping up. And about once, maybe twice a year, you just go in and pull out any of those weeds that start to pop up. And that's it. And then you're not sitting there fretting over your landscape. You don't have to irrigate a bunch of stuff. You don't have to be in there trimming a bunch of stuff every year. You just kind of let it go and let it be happy the way it is. And that's, you know, every once in a while, yes, you'll probably have to replace a few plants or, or more than likely by that point, your style preferences have changed and you want to update your, your landscape for that reason instead. So that's kind of what a low maintenance landscape looks like. Right. And how much maintenance do we do in our yard? every week or every month or every year? Well, that depends on the type of landscape you have. So for us right now, when we're recording this, this is mid-May and in uh, southwestern Ohio, it's raining like crazy and everybody's grass is growing about six inches a day. Slight exaggeration, but if you're not out there mowing it every few days to one week, it looks pretty unkempt. And so it depends on the type of landscape you have. So, so until we transform our full landscape here at our home into something that's beautiful and low maintenance, you might have some work. And so if you have a, a beautiful low maintenance landscape that has a lot of garden beds that are designed in this low maintenance way, then you don't have as much. You don't have to be that out there every week. Odds are you might want to be out there every week. So that would be more of a leisure thing. But Requirement-wise, um, a low-maintenance landscape is something you have to maintain maybe, maybe once to twice a year, a couple hours a year total, and that's it. So you, again, you're going through and just readdressing if anything seems unhealthy. Maybe some things here or there might you might want to trim them back, and then in the spring, you know, after after the winter's over, kind of trimming back some of the dead material maybe, and and then pulling a few weeds in late summer, early fall, mulching at least one time a year. And that's, that's about it. It's, it's a pretty easy thing. And what can we do if there are weeds and disease problems in our yard? Okay. So weeds and disease problems, those are kind of 
two slightly different things, but they're both kind of an indicator that your landscape needs help in some way. So with disease problems, usually it's an indicator that your plants aren't happy. And so they're not getting something they need, whether it's water or too much sun or their roots are weak or the roots are rotting from too much water. Um, something like that is usually causing the disease problem. Likewise, plants that get a lot of pest problems, usually that's a weakened plant that isn't as fully happy in that space. So it could be the wrong plant for that space, unfortunately. Now, if it's a plant you really want to keep there, maybe you can amend the conditions a little bit to make it have the right conditions. So the first thing you want to do if you have any disease problems with a specific plant is to kind of research why. Um, what's that plant susceptible to? Maybe it's having some root rot issues or maybe it's too dry or something like that that's causing the disease issue. Now, when it comes to weeds, with weeds, usually weeds are growing in some sort of disturbed uh, situation. Now, our gardens, if we're cultivating it or we're digging it up, that's a disturbance to our soil. So this is where, I, again, I'm getting a little nerdy here, but, but healthy soil, basically, when it's not disturbed, it's got the right plants growing in that space. When you compact that soil or when you disturb it by tilling it up or whatever, it brings up seeds of plants that are designed to, to grow in those situations, to get as many nutrients as possible or to hold the soil together best as possible and to grow in that situation where other happy plants might not be able to grow. And so with weeds, they have these deep tap roots or they have these really fibrous roots that either drill down into compacted soil to mine out nutrients, or they have those fibrous roots to hold together really loose soil. And, and that's a broad generalization, but essentially those weeds are trying to survive where other plants can't. And they're trying to gain hold and set seed as quickly as possible so they can reproduce before other plants move in. And so really what you can do to reduce those types of problems is to one, reduce disturbance. So don't disrupt your soil unless you have to for planting or whatever. And secondly, to cover the surface of your soil. A lot of weed seeds, they don't germinate unless they see light or they, they have the exactly right conditions. So a lot of times that is light. And by covering it with a nice layer of mulch, wherever you have bare soil, you really reduce the amount of weed problems you have. So that's an easy, quick way to take care of your weed problems. That's so interesting. I have no idea. So what are mulch usually used for in landscaping? So mulch can be used for both um, the weed suppression characteristics, but also just for beauty. A lot of people like to see the mulch. Uh, a lot of people use colored mulches. I'm not a, actually a huge fan of colored mulches. One, from a stylistic standpoint, it looks artificial to me. But two, um, a lot of those mulches that you get at the nursery, unfortunately, are um, ground up industrial uh, wood, like pallets and that sort of thing that have chemicals in that you don't want leaching into your soil and your plant roots because it can disrupt your garden. And so if you go to the nursery, make sure you find mulch that is naturally sourced, that is chemical free. And so that way you, you can ensure that it's healthiest for your plants because eventually most mulches are just wood chips, right? So that mulch will eventually break down into soil. And you don't want those chemicals also getting into your soil where it's going to disrupt how healthy your plants are. So it's a, kind of a health thing for your plants. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, the stylish piece of mulch is a lot of people like to see mulch around plants to where it kind of, you know, clears out the weeds, right? So you don't have weeds down there. So it's both a visual thing as well as a functional thing of keeping those weeds suppressed. Now, when you're mulching, you want to make sure you keep it away from the base of trees because if you cover the the bottom of the tree where where it touches the ground, that's a really important transition point for for woody plants. So trees and shrubs is if that gets covered, it gets prone to disease issues and rot, and it can actually kill the whole plant. So you can have a giant mature tree, and if you cover that base, it's called the root flare, right where it touches the soil, if you cover that part, it can actually kill the plant. And so you want to make sure if you're mulching, you don't touch that piece, because it can get fungus issues, it can get that, um, it can kill the, the plant completely too. So um, make sure you don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, you can mulch around it and really take care of a lot of those weed problems. And of course, about every one to one to two years, you'll want to go back and, and replenish that, that mulch bed and 
usually I recommend actually, if you're using it for weed suppression, you want your mulch layer to be uh, four to six inches deep, which sounds like a lot and it is a lot. But once you have that there, that layer of mulch will, will slowly break down over time and really nourish your soil there to make better soil for the plants that are growing in your garden. You'll have happier plants and you'll have less weeds at the same time. So it's kind of like a, a win-win-win situation. Yeah. And we love win-win-win. <laughs> and so what recommendations would you have for homeowners who may be thinking about selling their home? Because the way with curb appeal, if we're planting plants, for example, it needs time to really grow into it. So what are some recommendations you have for homeowners who may be thinking about selling their house? Or it might just be coming up in a month or so. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's different than what I usually teach uh, with my stuff through Easy Living Yards is usually I'm talking the long-term stuff. And so when we're, we're thinking the opposite with short-term, it brings in a lot of different factors. And so the first thing I would say is, is do that curb appeal exercise we just talked about where you're looking at your front porch, you're looking at your front entry walk, you're looking from the curb as well. That's where new people coming to see your home will be looking as well. So if you, I think one of the strategies that a lot of real estate agents like to talk about is, is walk across the street from your home and look at it from the opposite side of the street. Cause there you see a full picture of your whole house at the same time. And it's all in one view. Consider doing that. So you can really soak up your home and really see what's kind of standing out. And maybe it's some of the architecture stuff. Maybe you have a shutter that's hanging loose or something. But when we're talking about your landscape too, Make sure there's nothing that's kind of pulling away from your home. And you want instead your landscape to, to accent your home, to make it feel welcome and to make it feel also fun and exciting. And so if your landscape's not doing that, think about the quickest, easiest things you can do to really enhance that. And so doing that curb appeal exercise we talked about, reducing clutter, making it feel welcoming, making it feel open, start there and do those things. So maybe you have a trash can in front of your house. Move your trash can around to the side or something. Maybe move your cars in a way where it doesn't obstruct the entry walkway as much. Uh, or, you know, considering keeping your cars in the garage, at least while you're showing your home, maybe you can park them on the street. Those things can really go a long way. If you have any weed problems kind of poking up, make sure you take care of those. Uh, make sure your, your lawn is well trimmed. Um, so those are all good things for, for showing your home. Likewise, I would say if, you're, if your landscape just seems like it's lacking some luster, doesn't really pop, this is where usually I don't recommend using annuals or too many potted plants. But if you're looking for something quick, annual plants and potted plants can really help spruce up your landscape in the short term. And so look to potentially investing in a few annual or potted plants, uh, maybe putting some around your mailbox or up by your front porch. Or you can even, you know, intersperse them throughout your garden, your existing garden. Those can go a long way to really enhancing that view and enhancing that feel of welcoming and feeling open and, and lacking clutter and also having just a nice pop of color at the same time. So those are some quick things you can do there. That's great. I really love that, especially the last tip. I have a follow-up question about the lawn, actually, because... sure. I mean, it is so common in the typical American home. And when you're selling, what if you have a lawn that already has patches? Do you recommend maybe just resaw the whole thing because it's coming up? You're selling it in a very quickly, uh, in a quick time span. Right. Yeah. I, I will start by saying I'm not a hundred percent lawn expert, but I do know a little bit about lawns and, and this might be helpful. So I know there are a lot of lawn repairing um, seed mixes out there now. A lot of them have an annual ryegrass uh, in them. And so this is for uh, cooler season lawns is where I really know most of, of what I'm talking about. That's what I'm used to is, is cooler season lawns. So that's kind of like the transition zone between cool season and warm season lawns is like, uh, let's see, like I think it's about like South Carolina across the Tennessee, kind of that latitude area is in north and south for the United States. So, so farther south is warm season lawns and it might actually be better there. I don't know, uh, but it might be better there to use sod to patch those, those patchy spots because those lawns are very different where you usually have a single species of grass that's covering your whole lawn. And if you use a different type of grass to patch it or to seed over part of it, it will look very uneven. And so those, those warm season grasses are a little different 
to take care of. When you're talking about your your cool season lawns, there's usually a mix of various types of grasses that that are blended together to make your lawn. And so it's a little easier to patch some of those from seed. So a lot of times, uh, especially in construction areas, what they do to get a quick green up is they'll use these annual ryegrass uh, seed mixes. And that annual ryegrass really sprouts quickly, grows really fast, and gives you green real fast while the other seeds are still germinating and starting to grow. And so you can do that as well for your, your patches in your lawn if you're looking to just quickly patch something This is something that will take about a few weeks to really start to green up. But within those few weeks, you'll have a nice green patch there. And it'll still, if you look at it closely, you'll notice a difference. But from a distance, it won't look as stark as a brown patch of or a bare patch of space in your lawn. And so you can do that if you have some smaller patches. If you have some really big patches of of not having lawn, that can be pretty difficult in... um, doing some of these short-term fixes might not really work out so well. And so again, what you can think about is is reseeding your whole lawn, but probably if you have those bare patches, it's, it's probably important to think about what are the issues causing that. Do you have major erosion? Do you have major pet traffic there? Do you have um, compaction for some reason where um, there's a lot of heavy vehicles driving over it or something like that. What's what's causing that issue? Because the lawn usually likes to have not too much traffic and not too much erosion. And as long as it's not getting that, and it also doesn't like being waterlogged. So if it has one of those things, it might be causing problems with your lawn there. You might want to consider um, maybe trying to fix that issue because the homeowner that comes after you will will also have that issue as well. I see. So our show is coming up to the end. So thank you so much for being on the show. I just have one last question. What would sure. be the number one tip you'll give to our listeners when it comes to easy landscaping? Number one tip, uh, this is probably something we already talked about, is to think ahead. Think ahead about your landscape. Plan ahead if you're looking to redesign your landscape. That planning piece goes a long way to reducing costly mistakes uh, long-term problems, and also just feeling unsatisfied with the outcome of your landscape. I would say that's a long-term thing. From a short-term standpoint, if you're talking about staging your home, uh, number one tip, let's see. If you're staging your home, I would say, yeah, walk across your street and really look at the front of your home and see how you feel. Try and look at it with fresh eyes so you, that way you can you can come into your landscape with a new perspective of somebody that's coming to see your house for the first time thinking that it might be their future home. So if you're thinking about if it's your future home, how do you feel about that landscape and what can you do to change that? That's great. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun and I really hope it's helpful with really making a positive difference in our landscapes so that we can have really a lot more time to do things that are more important. So that's what I'm all about. Yeah, no, I think definitely it will. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.